Brilliant. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I have, I'm operating on about four hours of sleep last night, so uh, we could pray for that very quickly. <laughs> Feeling a bit weary. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'd use me this morning, Lord, that you would strengthen and that you'd give us ears to listen, Lord, hearts open, Lord, to what you have to say. Thank you that in your house we can come as we are, and you meet us exactly where we're at. So we pray for every single person here, every single story. And we pray, Lord, would you just take over? Would you take the reins? In Jesus' name, amen. Right, we are going to be opening up the Bible together. You will not be surprised to hear. And we are going to be starting a new series in Hebrews. And it's quite a meaty book, is Hebrews. It's quite a meaty book, and it can seem confusing at times, uh, but so, so rich. So, we're going to journey through it. And actually, the verses that we looked at, we could probably have done a seven or eight-week series on the three or four verses. It's that kind of dense. There's so much in it. There's so much in it, but it's uh, so rich as well at the same time, uh, and so much that we can learn from it. So, I want to start by giving a bit of an overview of the book to introduce it. Firstly, who wrote the book of Hebrews? There's lots of debate, lots of thoughts around who was the author, the writer of this letter. Some people have studied and thought, was it Paul? Was it, the, was it Paul? Was it Apollos? Was it Barnabas? Some say it was Clement of Rome who wrote, uh, who wrote this book. Folks have looked at the style of writing and the context and uh, brought possibilities. Maybe it could be this person. It can't be this person because of this. Uh, and it's not been landed on conclusively. It's not been landed on at all. And actually, I quite like how it's not been landed on. I quite like that it's offer unknown. Uh, and we're going to uh, journey through this book over the coming weeks. Who was this letter written to? Who was it written to? This was much clearer, you'll be glad to know. And those who have researched and studied this letter have come to landing that its recipients were Jewish Christians who were under persecution, who were under actually quite brutal opposition at this time. At around AD 70 is the kind of timeline. Uh, these Christians were experiencing a number of things, physical beatings. They were fleeing from their homes. There was, uh, it was just pretty brutal, the persecution they were facing. So, this letter was an encouragement for them. And why was this letter written? The, the writer wants to show that Jesus is the Messiah and to reassure them that the evaluating and the struggle that these people had been going through, that they were facing, needed to land with them knowing that Jesus is the truth, Jesus is their hope, and He was who He says He was, the Messiah. So, we're going to read Hebrews 1, and we're going to read just the first couple of verses, 1 to 4, and I'm going to ask Sue, could you distribute our Bibles? Is that okay? Let's give a wee cheer for Sue. Yes. They're just over here. Sorry, yes, it would help if I told you where they were. And if you don't have a Bible, get your hands up. We would love to give you a Bible. And for those of you who do have a Bible, it's about this much into your Bible, and you can have a wee, a wee guess and see where you land. Let's pray before we read God's Word together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You. It's a living Word. 
Thank you. It's God-breathed. And we pray, Holy Spirit, would you just light it on fire in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's entitled in my Bible, God's Final Words, His Son. And I realize I'm in the way of the screen. I'm going to move to the side. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. And we're going to stop there and take a breather, and take a breather. Amen. The title of today's talk is, Don't Give Up, Jesus is Better. Don't give up. Jesus is better. That's my main point today, and that's my one point today. So, I was getting a bit twitchy, so we're going to have three points, and they're exactly the same. Don't give up. Jesus is better. Don't give up. Jesus is better. Don't give up. Jesus is better. It's the message to the people, the Jewish Christians from the author in Hebrews, and it's a message that we can all receive today. Don't give up, because we have Jesus, and Jesus is all that we need. Jesus is all that we need. Before my life in church ministry, before uh, we led Inverness Vineyard Church, and before I was a youth pastor before then, I worked in a bank, which I've referenced a number of times. I was a mortgage advisor, and I was a I was doing that for a number of years, but before that, getting to the point of being a mortgage advisor it required me to pass quite a number of exams. So, I, I, the year was about 2007, and I was a couple of years out of the exam game. You know the way, I don't know if any of you have had to step back into exams after being away from that kind of learning for a while, but it's hard. It's hard when you have to kind of get your head back in gear. So, I was a couple of years out of it, and I had three to get through. It was called CMAP exams, Certificate of Mortgage Advice and Practice. And there was three exams that I had to do. Uh, so I studied in the evenings. I had no time during work at all to have, I didn't have study leave. So it was the evenings that I had to learn. I had no time, I had to cram it all in. And I sat CMAP one, the first exam for my mortgages. And I failed the first time, failed the first time. So I went back to the books and managed to pass the second time. Then I got to CMAP 2, and the same thing. I failed it the first time, and then got back into the books, and I passed it the second time. And then I got to CMAP 3, and I passed it first time. Phew, thought, brilliant. I've done all the, all the academic exam learning stuff. Now I've got the practical exam. So I had to do a mock interview assessment with my area manager, where I provided mortgages and insurance and made sure that I said the right things at the time. And I smashed it. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. I'd done really well. I was like buzzing afterwards. I was like, yes, I have done it. But I went into the debrief after this interview and the area manager's face was just grim. Like it was just like something really bad had happened. And I was going, hi there. Oh dear. You could just see what's going on here. What's going on? 
And he said, Thomas, a fantastic interview. Brilliant. But you forgot one thing. You forgot to give out a business card at the beginning of the interview. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to fail you. And I was like, I just burst out crying. Like I'm in my mid-twenties and I'm like sobbing in this room. I can't believe it, all that work, all that effort that I've put in. I got so far, I poured my heart and soul into this. I'd sacrificed so much and I felt like it was done because I knew after three strikes, three strikes, I couldn't continue with that qualification. So I couldn't be a mortgage advisor. And uh, everything within me was like, I'm just going to take a step back now. I'm going to go back to my other role. That's the way it was. But I couldn't. Something within me kind of rose up, and I, I felt like I have to fight for this. So I was like, is there anything amongst my snot and tears? I was like, is there, is there nothing? Is there nothing you could do? Is there nothing you could do? Please. And he's like, leave it with me. Leave it with me. And he spoke to the national, I can't even, the national guy for Santander, like the area manager's area manager for the whole of the UK. And they cleared me for another interview. This was unheard of. Like, I was, it was brilliant to get this opportunity. And I had to convince myself to get into that space again, to persevere and to not give up. It was a real battle in that moment to go again. So I had the interview. I remembered the business card. And I loved that role. I'd done that role for a number of years before I became a youth pastor. And I always say that role prepared me a lot for what I do now. It did in a lot of ways, being around people, being around real life, being around great managers, being around not so great managers as a young, you know, in my 20s. It was just a great, great experience. It was real. But in that moment, I didn't give up. Something rose up in me, in my tears. Can you not do anything? Is there nothing you could do? I wonder if we've had moments like that in our walk in life with Jesus, to give up, to throw in the towel, to step back, to say, I'm done. When we get to moments or situations when we know we need to make a decision to step in or step back, to fight for it, to trust and throw our all behind Jesus, or to hold it all together ourselves. Perhaps it's to say yes, to be generous, but then the boiler breaks the next day. Or to make a decision to say no to a temptation that was the norm before Jesus came into our life. Or to not have that extra drink on the night out with our friends. Or when crisis hits, to call on His name and not to look for self-help or to sort it ourselves. In these key moments, will we choose Jesus? Will we stack our odds on Him? Will we rely on Him? Will we look to Him? And all those questions kind of mush together. That's kind of the question the author of this letter is bringing to these people in the midst of just really hard times for these Jewish Christians. Although these people had sought the Messiah for centuries, they were deeply embedded in their thinking and in their worshiping and tradition. This is a, a great wee takeaway line. They were missing the greater by not letting go of the lesser. They were missing the greater by not letting go of the lesser. Following Jesus jarred with their heritage. And the Scriptures, the Old Testament, it jarred with it because they had this way of doing life. And many Jews rejected, rejected it. 
And those who did accept struggled. Often a lot of them would struggle with it and delve right back into familiar routines. And isn't that true? Following Jesus isn't easy. It isn't easy. And it jars without there when we say we're a Jesus follower. We believe in Jesus. We want to live for Jesus. The minute we step outside these doors, it jars. It clashes. And it comes at a cost to the routines and the familiarity we carve out for ourselves and the faith-filled life and steps that Jesus invites us into. When the rubber hits the road, when we get to practice what we preach, and when Jesus actually shows up and asks, what have I got here? Where do I figure? Where do I go? Am I welcome? Is He welcome in our heartache and in our struggles? Is He welcome in our addictions and in our failures? Is He welcome in our pain and in our doubt? I think often, and speaking for myself, and it might resonate with a lot of you, I can often, we can often welcome Him fully into the dreams and the excitement, but not the pain. These folk were being persecuted, and it was easier for them to step back into Judaism, to the way that they have always known. I want to share, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than any religion, any philosophy, any message. And the author wants to tell these people throughout the book of Hebrews why. Jesus is better. And he does that through a number of ways that we're going to journey together. Various people are going to unpack this book of Hebrews. But there's a lot of comparisons. There's a lot of comparisons in these writings. He shows that Jesus is better than angels, which will very shortly uh, kind of pick up very briefly. He shows that Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Abraham. And we see a, a first comparison in the first two verses of this passage. It says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom, he, whom also He made the universe. So, we see that God spoke in the past. We see that in the Old Testament through various people, through Isaiah in visions in Isaiah 6, through Jacob in a dream, Genesis 28, through Abraham and Moses personally in Genesis 18 and Exodus 31. In the Old Testament, He spoke through various people. Incredible. God spoke through these prophets through dreams and visions and angelic visitations. There's real truth in that. But in Jesus, God has spoken in a new way, and that's what the offer wants to let these people know. In Jesus, He has brought fulfillment. He is here. He is the fulfillment. And the offer is saying He is the complete revelation of God better than any Jewish thought, better than anything they had ever known. He's saying, you get it all with Jesus. You get it all with Jesus, so don't give up. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. I love a good movie in my spare time, when I have any spare time, but I've got to the age now that it has to be a 90-minute movie. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anything over 90 minutes now, and I'm like, can't do it. Can't do it. I'll end up falling asleep. So the cinema is, is, is not really a, a regular thing anymore. But anyway, 
I love trilogies or box sets of movies where you journey together and it brings connections to the others. I love those type of movies, dropping little hidden moments that point back to a character or point back to an event and you can kind of join up all the pieces. The Marvel movies were absolutely, not so much now, but the Marvel movies were absolutely brilliant at the beginning, the kind of last 10 years uh, with the Avenger movies. And it helped painted the bigger picture and everything made sense. So you could watch the, the movie Avengers, the Avengers movies by themselves, and you could go, brilliant, I love those movies. Action, drama, superhero at every turn, good versus evil. But you could also understand Steve Rogers' Captain America's journey in The Winter Soldier, and then it makes watching the Avengers all the sweeter, because you understand what brought him to that point. I loved watching the Avengers, but I loved watching it even more after I'd watched a couple of the Iron Man movies, and you realize what Tony Stark went through, and then you get to the Avengers movie, and you're like, ah, it's all coming together. I can see this now. I can see that. The story's richer, a better understanding. You notice things in one movie that you wouldn't have noticed without watching that movie, and you realize they need each other for the full story. Maybe you can think of a couple of movies like that, but they're so connected. And it's a bit like that with the Bible. I can remember when I, in my teenage years, started reading the Bible. Right, I'm going to read from the very beginning, and I'm going to read right through. And I got to about Leviticus, and it just got hard. It just got hard. But when read and studied and journeyed alongside the New Testament, old and new, you get a fuller understanding. You get more depth and more impact at what actually the story is all about. And you begin to see Jesus and our vision is we'd be a people where we come alive. The Word comes alive. It comes alive. You notice things in the Old Testament that you wouldn't have realized without the new. St. Augustine says, the new is in the old concealed. My dad told me this over the table over a coffee yesterday, and I loved it. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. I love that. You notice things in the new that were spoken in the old. If we look at the passage that we read a bit further on, how the writer is illustrating this, how he's painting the picture to these Jewish Christians, we see in the very first uh, verse 5, as we carry on, you are my son, today I have become your father. We read of that in Psalm 2, verse 7. In verse 7, where he says, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. That's a reference to Psalm 104. In verse 9, we read, You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set, before, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. We read of that in Psalm 145. And we could go on in verse 10. There's also a reference to Psalm 102. I want to show you an image just now from a book that I really love. I'm a visual learner. And I love pictures, I love images. And this first image is incredible. It's prophecies about Jesus, promised in the old and fulfilled in the new. And God the Bible records God's promises of Jesus over 2,000 times, revealing how and where each promise was kept. A rainbow of hope, it's called, in the infographic Bible. If, you've not, if you're a visual if visual is really uh, impactful and you're learning the infographic Bible, I've got it here. You can have a wee look at it after the service. It's a stunning image, isn't it? Stunning. 
And here's another one that comes up with the words and the events where each Jesus prophecy was fulfilled. Now, we're not going to read from that bit because it's incredibly, incredibly small, but I'm going to read some examples from the actual book. I've got some temporary tattoos as my bookmark, living with kids, hey? They're not mine, honestly. So we read, the Messiah would come from the line of David, Psalm 89, 35 to 37. Uh, also, we have God describes himself to Moses as I am, Exodus 3, 13 to 15. The Messiah would commit his spirit to God, Psalm 31, verse 5, and they're all connected, the events and words where these things were fulfilled. And we see it, just that beautiful connection, that beautiful connection. And as I read this passage, as I think of the Old and the New Testament together, as I think of Jesus being revealed in the Old, I'm actually reminded a bit of a, do you remember magic eye books? I'm going to give you a magic eye image right now. Now, obviously, you know the way you're meant to start with a magic eye, you're meant to go right up to it. We can't, there's too many people to do that. But maybe you'll have a real gift if you've been able to find that from there. But uh, you have to kind of look at it and then come back. And as you look at that image, there's actually an image of a giant duck, 3D. And it kind of, I'd done it last night and I hadn't done magic eye in years. And I was like, whoa, Mary, come and see this, come and see this. Now, why am I showing you a magic eye picture? Because it's like the Jewish Christians were looking and living and not seeing the full picture. You know, in this picture amongst all the ducks, there's a duck right at the center. And in these writings full of Jesus, where we've seen in the previous images, they couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They couldn't see Jesus as the Messiah. Or there's another picture here of a feast. And some commentator, I mean, that looks tasty, doesn't it? That looks good. I need to turn around. One commentator penned this. Why continue to live on crumbs when invited to a feast? You wouldn't turn up at this and go, I'm just going to have a wee bit of that there left in the bowl. I'm just going to have a wee bit of what's on the table over there. You wouldn't turn up to a feast and live on crumbs. Jesus is the exact representation of God. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. He's not another messenger. They are both God and nature. He's not another prophet. We read He is above the angels. And you know, that is, that is really deliberate from the offer because for these people, angels were popular with these people and obviously evident throughout the Old Testament, throughout these times. But with Jesus, we read He's not just a carrier of the Word. He is the Word. The very first lines of John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. In verse 3, we read this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Some translations of that verse say that the Son bears the stamp of God's nature. The Son bears the stamp of the God's nature. It's like the impression left on a coin that's being minted. You know those machines when you go to museums, my boys always run to? that they want the coins, and it's like a pound, and it's like this little, it's, yeah, this big machine, you come out with a tiny coin, you see the imprint. 
It's the stamp of an image. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that in Jesus Christ, we have this perfect, visible expression of God. It's not that just in Jesus we hear God speaking. It's also that in Jesus we see God's glory. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So we don't give up when the rubber hits the road, when it gets tough, because of God speaking through His Word and through Jesus. We read that in verse 1 to 2. I see Him in the Bible, and I know Him in my life. I can't give up because I know what is true. And then in verses 2 and 3, the offer gives, and this is what I said at the very beginning, you could do a whole sermon series, there are seven specific descriptions telling us why Jesus is better from the Bible Speaks Today commentary. And I'm just going to list them, and then we'll come into close. Jesus is God's Son. Without Jesus, there's no salvation for you and me. Jesus is God's appointed heir. Jesus will not only inherit the earth, but the whole universe. Jesus is God's created agent. Surely He who created the universe could hold these people in trying times. Jesus is God's personified glory. We see when God was giving the law at Mount Sinai, the glory of God settled on the mountain. Nowhere has God's glory been more manifest than in Jesus. Jesus is God's revelation. Jesus is God's cosmic sustainer. The offer here emphasizes Christ's equality with God. He keeps planets in orbit. And Jesus is God's unique sacrifice. Christ's work highlighted in redemption as well as creation. So how do we not give up on Jesus when it gets tough, when there's pressure, temptation, persecution. I think those truths help. I think that when we look at Jesus, we can land on the human side, which is a really powerful, that's important, but He's God. He's all-powerful. He's all-powerful, and He loves us. I want you to think of some of the things you're passionate about and made commitments to in your own life, things that are hardwired into you, things that you think things where there's a higher purpose, something bigger at play. We have this part of us in all of us that kind of are drawn to these moments. It's like in us, alive and kicking. It's going to reference Mary, like she's a nurse. She's made to be a nurse. It's like inner. It's like tangible. You can feel it. When it's stressful, when it's pressured in the hospital, when it's all going wrong, she belongs to that space. She knows, that, yes, it's hard, I'm made for here. There's, there's something in me that is made for this space. I think of my dear friends, Leslie and Shanti Matthews, who are in their 70s out in Sri Lanka and who are planting churches still, areas that are still raw and recovering from the Civil War. I had the privilege of going there in 2011, and it's hard. There's so much opposition, but they're constantly pivoting and moving groups and facing persecution but there's a deep desire to say yes, to keep on keeping on for the sake of the gospel. For Jesus, it's being gripped and caught up by something way bigger, and it's about falling in love with Him. There's a real sense during worship there of just falling in love with Jesus again, singing those words, I love your presence. I love your presence. There's a real depth to the words that Ross was singing this morning. Love your presence. It's remembering we're part of a bigger story than our stuff and what's around us just now. And I think it's just a, 
an encouragement to play the long game. Play the long game. Jesus is better. The talk's called Don't Give Up. And just to flip the title completely, maybe some of us have to give up some things as we come to close. Maybe it's giving up, bringing just a part of us. Maybe it's giving up, just bringing the best bits to this space. Bring the worst bits as well. Maybe it's giving up the pride. What people think. Maybe it's just giving up and getting down on our knees before Jesus. Why continue to live on crumbs when we've been invited to a feast? He loves us so much. He is better. He's better than stuff. He's better than financial freedom. He's better than comfort. He's better than sexual freedom. He's better than relationships, than careers. Jesus is better. Let's not miss the greater by clutching on to the lesser. I don't want us to be a church that live in the lesser. I want the better. I want Jesus, don't we? We want Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We've got a bit of time. That's good. There's a song that I've been listening to this week called Better, and I just want to read these lyrics. I'm going to just pray the Holy Spirit just increases presence over us. We've got a lot of time. And I do think the Lord, as I was preparing this week, like Mary and I both had a sense of the Lord just wanting to move. He always wants to move, but just a sense of He's stirring. He's stirring. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and just receive these words and wherever you're at. The song is called Better. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, continue what you're doing. We pray more of your presence in this room, more of your presence in our hearts. We open ourselves to you. And the words say this, all the money that the world could hold, mountains made of solid gold, riches that could buy my dreams, you are better than all these things. The prettiest face to turn their eyes, beauty that could hypnotize, the open doors that looks may bring, you are better than all these things. Power that could shake the room, the most important one in every room status matched by only kings. You are better than all these things. Your love is better than life. You are the well that won't run dry. I have tasted and I have seen. You are better than all these things.